It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post Politics Podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined by Paul War and Martha Gill. Uh, this week, Westminster got its trousers in a twist over the Prime Minister's wardrobe and her pricey leather became an internal Tory proxy war over Brexit. Here's Boris speaking at his reception for ambassadors, taking the piss. And we are so cosmopolitan, we are so cosmopolitan, we drink more champagne, more prosecco, more money, we can buy more Maserati, uh, buy more German cars than anybody else, and our wonderful Prime Minister actually wears lederhosen. <laughs> and here's the Prime Minister have a friendly dig back during PMQs. And I have to say that the Foreign Secretary is doing an absolutely excellent job. He he is, in short, an FFS, a fine Foreign Secretary. So, uh, this week on Brexit, we had Philip Hammond, we had Boris, we had David Davis, Liam Fox, all up saying things. What have we learned, guys, about where we're going, if anything at all? Well, one thing we learned is perhaps that the Prime Minister actually uses the F word. I can't ever have imagined <laughs> Theresa May saying the F word, but there you go. I think I, one of our aides must have said, look, I, this is what the kids say, FFS. I thought that, yeah, like, I, didn't, I can't imagine her ever saying that. It's it slightly jarred. But then again, if you're dealing with Boris, it's no wonder you're, you're going <laughs> yeah. end up using the F word. I think what's been interesting about the whole week is how we've seen just a bit more of the detail filled in, sketched in, shall we say, by mm. each of those ministers. Or, re- or rather, not the eventual plan, but what each of them thinks should be in the plan, which is different. And what's been really fascinating has been the way, all, all the talks about the, the three Brexiteers, obviously, naturally, there's been a lot of na- that narrative, Fox, David Davis, and Boris Johnson. But actually, the three people that really matter, increasingly, it seems, are only... Theresa May, Philip Hammond and David Davis. They're the real trio that right. matters. And I think that um, that's why Hammond kicking off the week at the Treasury Committee talking about only thoughtful people would actually uh, not... Uh, thoughtful people were the people that agree you need a transitional deal. Now, that wasn't a jibe at Boris, apparently. That was a jibe at the sort of Europeans. Yeah, apparently it's about the Europeans. Not <laughs> so, so, the, so the line goes. Um, and Didi was intensely relaxed about that. Um, but... It was significant because that's where a lot of this uh, practical detail will lie. You know, should they have a deal sorted, could they possibly get a deal sorted on trade within two years? A lot of people are saying that's bonkers. Even Gus O'Donnell, former cabinet secretary, is going to say at the weekend that actually it's going to take at least five years. You've got our man in Brussels saying that actually, Mm. our ambassador in Brussels saying that the feedback from Brussels is actually it's going to take 10 years. So you can see why Philip Hammond's going for that. David Davis, however, made clear in his session, which I think you watched, that a transitional deal would only happen if absolutely necessary. Although open to it, I think it was interesting with David Davis at that committee uh, the Brexit committee kind of you had all these Brexit the, kind of the big lights of the Brexit campaign sat around the table yeah. Hillary Benn you had Michael Goves there Dominic Raab's on it grilling him on it and you had uh, we got more about the plan itself or not the plan itself but when they're going to 
announced the plan. Yeah. And he said, you know, we're not going to get this till February. So that could be the end of February, which means MPs have what? A few weeks, two weeks, yeah. three weeks to actually scrutinise it. Um, he didn't kind of say much we get. He dodged the question, actually, about whether it be a formal white paper or not, yeah. suggesting it, it won't be. I think it's going to be maybe like a, a two-sided bit of paper uh, with perhaps quite a large font on it. Um, but how long does that, you know, you get two weeks to, to look at this thing? Yeah, I think MPs will be upset on both sides. Um, and the Tory, you know, soft Brexiteers who've this week been trying to, and did meet Theresa May, but none of them have been allowed to talk about that meeting, um, particularly given, you know, Nikki Morgan. W- was she invited? There. <laughs> she wasn't allowed there, particularly given the, the leather gates and trouser gate stuff. Um, I think that DD's evidence was significant, though, because a lot of the papers this morning said, David Davis's red lines on migration, Britain will control, the British Parliament will control migration, says David Davis. Yeah, he did say that. But there's a big difference between control and lower immigration. And I think that's something that's going to increasingly play yeah, out. Yeah, and there was, a, there was a line in there, wasn't there, where he was asked about immigration, and the difference between low-skilled and, and high-skilled workers. And it's all about what the government decides to do. And it, it might not be quite what many people who voted for Brexit actually wanted. Yeah, fruit pickers. It mm. was the one he singled mm. out, not anyone else, but he said that low-skilled fruit pickers could actually, you know, that there could be a, a demand for those and they, they could materialise. But the interesting thing is that Fox was up today as well, the other, the third Brexiteer. Um, and, you know, on the issue of trade, it seems as though they're, they're quite nonchalant and, and confident in this department. I mean, you saw it, Mar- Martha, didn't you? I mean, he, he looked like he was sort of very relaxed. He did seem very relaxed. But from what we've heard this week, there was a there was a piece, a revealing piece in the Times on the Brexit department. He's, he's sort of known for his sort of expansive, relaxed uh, <laughs> comments on what's going to happen. Um, he was he was certainly very confident about their position within the um, the negotiating power and their ability to kind of uh, sort out uh, our position within the WTO rules to our advantage. Um, yeah, he didn't he w- he didn't seem under that much pressure. Yeah, I think the, the, the people like uh, the, the the real hard Brexiteers are the ones that seem most relaxed. Mm. It's the people who are the sort of soft Brexiteers who are most anxious yeah. because you know they're the ones who are having to come up with they're having to square the circle. Let's not forget it's simple if you have a hard Brexit solution. You know where you are. You know where you stand. It might take a long time to sort out a proper trade deal, but at least you start from a position of certainty, and that that's why a lot of them do look quite laid back. It's interesting. I think Davis looked particularly relaxed at the committee as well. I mean, asked about this plan that they that he admitted freely they haven't really got one yet you know he said we, I can't tell you what's how long the plan's going to be or what form it will take because we haven't actually decided what it's what's going to be in it yeah I mean far from MPs having three weeks or so to scrutinize it he's only got about a month it's Christmas as well you know yeah. to actually produce it and he made the interesting point that they're they're making up the plan of what to do whilst he's still building his department yeah so it's not they had this whole thing already to then do the policy work and no, and th- they, they're still creating the peat that the, the there was infrastructure to produce a plan that's got only a month and, and a half to do. And to be fair to the Brexiteers, you know, I mean, it, let's be honest, the Cabinet Secretary and David Cameron hold a lot of responsibility for the fact that we ha- are starting from a standing start. They didn't do any preparation. Civil service yeah. wasn't allowed to really prepare for Brexit. They weren't allowed to do all that brain power that you normally do. 
about how do you cope with the with the counterfactual in a, in a <laughs> referendum? What's going to happen if people vote to leave? They should have had some plans ready. So to be fair to them, you know, they've had to start quite late. The difficulty is that we've got this sort of almost weekly flaccidity index when it comes to whether it's hot or soft or hard Brexit. And Davis was, to be, even in his own evidence, was veering from hard to soft, you know, talking about the idea of, yeah. you know, we will see, need some more migrants, but at the same time, we've got to have firm control over it. And... Um, you know, and trade is the same. You know, how how hard or soft is that going to be? And, and also, it, I think. It sorry, 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 sorry. When it, when it comes to civil servants, um, I from, from what I've heard from speaking to some of them, um, sort of on the periphery of the of, of the Brexit deal, it's like the o the only information uh, available is from people actually within David Davis's department. Everybody else feels completely shut out. So from uh, originally the Brexit department wasn't that popular among civil servants. Now they're all fighting to get in because it's behind those door doors that um, information. Get shared. Yeah, that's a good point. You wrote a piece, didn't you, about how early on, you know, it was seen as being, you know, the enemy. But actually, now you, you're right. It's the sort of Rolls Royce department. If you want to get on in Whitehall, you've got to work there. And I think that's going to be in Davis's yeah, advantage because, as I say, the trio is him and Hammond and the PM. And if you're that close to PM as as Davis is, then you're going to want to join that department. It's got real influence, as much influence as the Treasury. I mean, that, that's significant. Yeah, and we also had this week, um, Keir Starmer, who's Labour's shadow Brexit secretary, gave a kind of a, a big speech about Labour's position at Bloomberg, ironically, where this all sort of began with Cameron's Europe speech a few years ago, setting out, you know, he wants Labour to be the party for the 48% and the 52%. But, you know, you go through this long speech, it's, you know, he's very loyally, sort of very interesting but it boils down to what's Labour's position they're going to vote for article 50 yeah and it's basically them kind of saying to Theresa May please can you give us a nice Brexit pretty pretty please exactly. there's no threat behind it they haven't got much leverage if you're not threatening to block it or to frustrate it which is their their yeah. terminology I mean they are terrified aren't they that every single you know Tory MP and every Labour marginal mm. Um, and, and in every battleground in the next election, they're terrified of this, you know, leaflet going out, you voted against the people. Yeah, and it's interesting sort of w listening to Philip Hammond and Keir Starmer. There's quite a lot of, a lot uh, of common a lot ground, of common ground there. And I wonder yeah. how much behind closed doors talking well, between we'll those, because once it gets closer and closer, there's definitely... A lot of similar noises coming from both of those both of those men. Yes, yeah, Labour's an interesting position because we've seen over the last two, few weeks Labour kind of successfully hammer the government over various cuts that are going to take place because, basically, of the of the Brexit problem. Um, and yet they have this official position on Brexit, which is much softer, and they they haven't quite worked out. And, and I think on migration, which is where Labour's really split. You know, the Labour. You know, not got a good sell, let's be honest, to the public. But equally, you've got Boris and in that Christmas party that I, I went to on Monday, on Tuesday. He, even there, all, despite the, the leather trousers gag, actually he had a really serious point, which was he said that, you know, when it comes to foreign students and when it comes to international business people, I expect... I'm confident that they'll remain in the same ratios after Brexit. Now, that's a real, you know, hmm. poke in the eye to the Prime Minister who really wants to take students out of the migration target. So there's definitely going to be a big battle there. And the question is whether or not Labour is in the right position to, to join that battle. So we're going to talk about Labour let's and Christmas parties. Jamie Corbyn had his little bash for journalists in Westminster. Um, here's a clip of him making another joke. Um, also in that in that speech which he gave to reporters, uh, Corbyn sort of said, you know, two years ago I wouldn't didn't think I'd be in this position being leader of the Labour Party. But what position are Labour in now? I mean, they're off the back of t being slaughtered in two by-elections at the end of the year. Is that a sign of things to come 
or, or worse? What's well, I mean, I, I, I doorstep the PLP as usual on Monday night. And, and the one thing that was interesting was um, uh, that Vernon Coker made a presentation about why they'd come forth in Sleaford. Mm. And it basically said we weren't being listened to on the doorstep at all. All the voters wanted to talk about was Brexit. All we wanted to talk about was the closure of the local A&E hospital. And people weren't listening. Uh, and they weren't listening because Labour didn't have a sell on Brexit. So it comes back to that. But there is a, a deeper problem. And, and again, some MPs were pointing out, Labour MPs off the record this week, that th- Corbyn, his consistent defence for the poor polling... Uh, has been actually it's because of all the infighting within the party mm. that's to blame as well as the media um, and he doesn't really have that excuse of infighting since September the PLP is much more united there's much fewer noises off you don't see it all over the place so they're saying well if you've not got that excuse surely it's because the public are realising they don't want to buy what you're selling I'm afraid Jeremy and that is going to be a problem even Diane Abbott started off yeah. this whole week by giving you know Jeremy Corbyn basically 12 months to, to narrow the poll and gap. Ken Livingston as well yeah. uh, the same morning both gave him a year to turn it yeah. around two of his closest allies there and I, th- I thought that was really interesting it might have been just wishful thinking on their point that actually the 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 worse the economy gets that you know the worse the brexit fallout gets the tory splits get that actually labor will narrow the gap there may be an element of that and it's true that actually you know the public hates split parties so corbyn's got a point there there's no question they absolutely hate disunity but there are other things that mean you're low in the polls leadership is one how sound you are on the economy um, it's not just all about disunity. And we're going to have to see, again, whether or not you know the public... He, he can come up with some decent policies that connect with the public, They're particularly Tory voters. And mm. we've always said that, and haven't we? And let's see what they can do. Because there was a poll out um, today, a couple of hours ago, actually, in the Evening Standard, which shows the Lib Dems are now up to 14, which I think is their best polling for quite a long time. And I think Labour were down too. So we've had this kind of ironic situation for the Lib Dems that Brexit seems to be the best thing that's happened to them since getting kicked out of government um, yeah. and they're the ones momentum it'd be interesting actually nick clegg in an interview today as well um sort of hinted that he might not want to stay uh in parliament for the rest the rest of the four-year term right. and and if you know if he goes maybe feeling more confident a by-election in sheffield hallam lib dems could hold on to it yeah. it'd be interesting to see how labor do there as well if he does decide to step down well definitely and don't forget sheffield hallam believe it or not is one of the richest seats in the country the reason they vote Lib Dem is because a lot of Tories, um, particularly maybe the soft Brexit Tories, uh, are voting Liberal Tories, are voting for the Lib Dems. And, you know, that's why Labour's always had a problem taking that seat. And, and it, they really it, tried last time as well, yeah. in 2015. They really, really went for him. And if you defeat Nick Clegg in 2015, when can you beat him? Or yeah. rather the Lib Dems. So, yeah, if they get a strong candidate, who knows? Almost certainly it'll have to be a woman, given that they you know, got a up oh, the women's representation. Yeah. I think actually that's in their rules. I think any... Lib Dem sitting MP or who loses their seat it's replaced by a, a right. woman candidate now yeah. it's like a half women shortlist yeah. approach but Labour I mean as we end 2016 you know there's this curious situation where Jeremy Corbyn was very relaxed that Christmas do so was Boris now that that's because both of them have ended the year better than they started it you know Boris was not foreign secretary don't forget and you know by the skin of his teeth he's managed to get into the cabinet you know despite all the disasters in the summer um, his botched leadership campaign um and jeremy corbyn 
has been re-elected a second time, so he feels much... I, I was talking to someone who knows him very well. He said, actually, that second victory, don't underestimate just how much more relaxed it's made him. He finally believes, actually, that you know he's genuinely popular amongst the mass of the party, so he relaxed a lot. That's why he's getting better at PMQs. So he's getting to the groove of it. The question is, though, in both parties, are they both in denial? They might be having a good Christmas, but uh, is Labour in denial about the total state of where it is in the polls? And are the Tories yeah. in denial about actually how messy Brexit's going to be. 2017 is going to be sort of, you know, a huge mountain to climb for both of them, and, th- and they're not even at base camp. And we had, um, in terms of you know stuff that's going to come up again, and again. I think the big issue this week was social care. Now, again, just an hour ago, um, Sajid Javid, the community secretary, um, stood up in the Commons, got this kind of surprise statement. Um, here's a clip of him. Agreed to the request by many leaders in local government to introduce a social care council tax precept of 2% a year, guaranteed to be spent on adult social care. (coughs) The precept puts money-raising powers into the hands of local leaders who best understand the needs of their community and are best placed to respond. In recognition of the immediate challenges that are faced in the care market, we will now allow local councils to raise this funding sooner if they wish. Councils will be granted the flexibility to raise the precept by up to 3% next year and the year after. This will provide a further £208 million to spend on adult social care in 2017-18 and £444 million in 2018-19. These measures, together with the changes we've made to the new homes bonus, will make almost £900 million of additional funding for adult social care available over the next two years. So <coughs> this was trail beforehand, wasn't it? We, we knew it was sort of going to happen. And what's he's announced? It's uh, allowing councils to... Basically, to they, can, they can do a top-up to their council tax of an extra 3% next year and the year after. Now, there's no new money there. He's just front-loading or fast-tracking the, the rises that he'd planned, that George Osborne had planned over three years. Instead, he's going to do them over two years. So, you know, that's quite tight. The Treasury will be happy. There was a tiny bit more money, about £208 million, which he was brand new, which is this thing called the, uh, the Better Homes Fund. And he's going to allow them to keep the receipts from that. Again, it, it's sort of a bit of internal creative accounting, but basically it means that councils are going to get 200 more million than they thought for social care. Now, why does it matter? You know, why is this phrase social care sort of become an issue this week? Jeremy Corbyn did very well at PMQs mm-hmm. in raising it. And it's true that more and more people, their parents, their grandparents, they can see are either in a terrible care home or they're stuck in hospital trying to wait for a, a terrible care home place yeah. or they're trying to cope at home and it's not working and there isn't any any decent staff to help them do it. So it's a growing problem. And, and it is an area that Labour can really focus on. I mean, this and the NHS, Martha, you had a, a story this week about NHS funding and the kind of cuts that are coming, which is something that they get, they're obviously going to be able to attack the government on. Yeah, so the, so the, so the Health Foundation um, gave us a, a new calculation they'd done which showed that uh, which looked at health spending per person, which is kind of an interesting way of looking at it because it really, it really shows us how much money is available um, in a new way, and it's going to be flat um, between uh, next year and 2020, um, which, in practical terms, means that uh, that new uh, new treatments won't be available to NHS patients because every year treatments get more expensive. The NHS wants to keep up with with other developed countries, but. Th- but this, but this looks increasingly unlikely to happen. Um, the government is already pushing to to change the rules, which means that it doesn't have to invest in 
in the, the kind of the latest treatments. Do you think we're being kind of set up for much social care, health care? We also had this week John McDonnell reaffirming they're going to keep the triple lock on pensions, whereas Philip Hammond has heavily hinted the government won't. Yeah. Some, some approach to them changing how they deal with kind of older people and how, yeah. they, how they present funding for them. So it's not just pensions, it's, it, it's pensions, but also social care together. A bigger package. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Theresa May mentioned it in PMQs and Sajid Javid sort of hinted at it today, that, that long term, that these are sort of short term sticking mm. clusters for this gaping wound that yeah. is social care. So long term, the, the sort of real medicine is how do you restructure services? How do you restructure financing of both health and social care? Now, the interesting thing is that Simon Stevens, head of the NHS, former number 10 man with uh, Tony Blair, very smart guy who's studied a lot of this problem for a long time, um, said both to the Lords and Commons committees this week that uh, radical thinking was needed. In other words, get rid of this sort of automatic increases in the pension, state pension, and and, and maybe even get rid of things like pensioners bus free bus passes, because he made the very good point. What's the point if your elderly grandma is getting a free bus pass into town? When, mm. when she gets home, there's no one there to care for her. And, and you know, he, as I say, he's thought about this deeply and he says that you should have a sort of triple guarantee about housing, income and care and put them all together. Now, that's a massive task. It might need some serious cross-party thinking, mm. but long term, there's got to be some sort of consensus about it. Otherwise, you know, this is a huge problem. They're, ironically, to go back to Brexit, one of the reasons it's not as much of a problem is, of course, we've got so many young migrants who are helping pay for our elderly. Um, but and it's much worse on the continent. But it's a it's a problem we've really got to grasp because of the aging population. And Stevens was right. You know, I didn't realise in the last ten years there's been a massive drop in the number of heart attacks and strokes in Britain. There's a massive increase in child obesity, and massive increase in chronic care problems for the elderly. And so he's got this bird's eye view of what's going on mm. in Britain's health system and social care system. And the question is whether or not anyone's listening to him. And it. it Jeremy Hunt obviously uh, respects him and has been pushing hard for some of this mo money. Whether or not the Treasury is going to allow it, I don't know. Um, it's it's difficult, but it's a, a politically really interesting subject. Uh, what, one thing is true is that Theresa May can't come out with her old stock lines of, you know, well, this is as she did with the police at the Home Office, where, you know, look, we got crime down. Even though we, we tightened budgets, we cut costs. We made every penny work harder. Well, unfortunately, I know the people in the Department of Health um, are thinking, actually, that's completely the wrong analogy. The reason crime's gone down is largely because of social um, differences and the fact that people are, are in virtually full employment. So that's one of the main reasons crime has come down. It's not because of the cuts, and it's despite the cuts. Whereas in health, you've got rising problems, not falling problems, whether it comes to you know chronic diseases and, and the rising population. So it's not an easy problem. It's, it's a very politically difficult thing to do, and it sounds like what's going to happen is, is, is uh, w with that sort of conceptual shift from funding bus passes to sort of funding care is the same as what's about to happen with the with the idea of sort of cutting the NHS and putting the money into social care which is that cutting the NHS and cutting people's bus pass allowances um, is a very um, politically dangerous thing to do because people see hospitals closing and they see themselves getting less money uh, whereas this idea of putting it into social care is sort of far more nebulous it's also a way for the government to kind of not actually give social care that money because they've they've kind of planned these these uh, these squeezes on the NHS, but 
they're also squeezing councils yeah. and it's not doesn't necessarily uh, it, it, the promise doesn't look like it's being kept and I think that's something that they're going to be facing over the NHS and then they may well face it if, if this idea of, of the triple lock uh, change goes yeah. through too. I mean it's a false economy isn't it which is what people have been saying this week which is that you know you it's obvious if you keep cutting social care you're going to pay for it in the long run you're going to have to pay, like, stump up yeah. and you can't rob Peter to pay Paul you can't say oh well, we'll borrow some money for the NHS to help out social care you're going to have to have a complete rethink maybe possibly a tax rise you're going to have to find a way of funding it in the long well, term one th- and it's where are you going to get the money from on my personal bugbear talk about free bus passes for the elderly one thing that happens is because of cuts local councils and there's there's fewer and fewer buses in rural areas yeah so it doesn't matter if you have if you've got a bus pass because you can't yeah. use it anyway well, and that's, that's a definite that's experience of, of where i'm from where you know since i've you know the over 30 years the number of actual bus routes itself yeah. so take the bus passes away it won't matter they can't use them well that's true and also don't forget actually bus passes it's not a massive amount of money what is a massive amount of money is uh, and the annual pension automatic rises and the to my mind one of the things that Labour won't have liked this week from Simon Stevens where he's, he, he made a good point he said look there was this Andy Burnham idea of creating a national health and social, social care service where they're totally integrated and you, in, you merge their budgets he said that'd be like you know two leaky buckets being merged into one and somehow you're assuming that the leaks are not going to continue he said you need you can't assume that just merging the budgets is going to work and maybe we do need a fully fledged national care service which is an NCS to match the NHS and they've both got parity of esteem this phrase that's used in other areas maybe it's needed now for that so this is actually the last commons people po- podcast of the year everyone so with that in mind we're joined by sarah harris our uh, post news reporter for the quiz because every time i do a quiz it gets edited live on air by you guys no. so i'd like we'll get the expert <laughs> so in to untrue. do it go on then sarah okay yep so i'm going to uh, give you a quiz on uh, some of the news events of this year to see how how well you remember the year oh, in God. news so Question number one. The Prime Minister of Iceland, Sigmundur David Gunnlaugsson, I hope that's how you say it, <laughs> uh, right. resigned after protests over revelations collected with what? Oh, my God. Oh, it, was, it, choice? It, was Panama, can... it was Panama Papers, wasn't it? Oh, that, that was that, it was good, Ned. Yeah. I'm impressed. Do you want me... I, I can give you some multiple choices. Go on. So, Ned, we'll give you that. You uh, Was it WikiLeaks? Payments made to UEFA, or an affair with a minister? I'm going for Ned. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I look yeah. confident, but like, I, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it was straight in there. It was the Panama yes, Papers. Very good. Well remembered. I read the news. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, question two. Protesters unleashed cockroaches in a London branch of which restaurant after the chain was involved in an immigration sting against its own staff? Ah, oh it yeah, it was ba- Honest Burger. Was that Byron or Honest Byron? Oh, no, it's ba- Byron. Yeah, it's Byron, yes. Was it Byron? Byron. It's Honest Burger is the one I walk past to get to work. You <laughs> 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 sound like you know Honest Burger very well, Mother. <laughs> Without cockroaches. So, yeah, yeah Byron. 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 Yeah, it was Byron. Cockroach on the It side. was Byron, yes. Woo. Yeah, there were some horrible pictures of them everywhere. Okay, this is one that if you don't all get, I'm going to judge you. Where... Did Boris Johnson refer to as that country in his speech to the Conservative Party conference in October? That country? Oh, I don't. I don't. 
What? Speak um, that, as in that woman, a, kind of, was it pejorative, that country? Is there choices? Can you give oh, us choices? Oh, fuck, was Go on. Well, was it Turkey or no? Oh, no, hang on. Can you Do you want some choices? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. India, Ecuador, Ghana, or the whole of Africa? Oh, it must uh, have been the whole of Africa, otherwise it wouldn't have been notable. Yeah, that's, that's a good logical. shout. I'm going to, I agree with you, Martha. I reckon, yeah, Africa. It was the whole of Africa. Wow. That <laughs> but we didn't know that, though. That's he didn't much say true. darkest Africa, did he? Not <laughs> this time, but he may have done <laughs> yeah, in the past. <laughs> okay, uh, next question. In February, a London man changed his name by deed poll to which of these unhealthy treats? Did he change his name to Meat Feast Pizza, <laughs> Quarter Pounder with Cheese, Barbecue Chicken BLC, or bacon double cheeseburger. Wow. Bacon double cheeseburger. I'm going to go for I'll bacon go for the double last one. cheeseburger. That sounds yeah. good. We're going yeah. on a bit of a burger theme. What, aren't we? So, what was the first one again? I'm very the first one now. was meat feast pizza. I'm going to say that one just to be different. Yeah, I'm. It's quite a catchy name. Yeah. Would have been better if he'd called himself Burger of Calais. That'd have been quite. <laughs> we would have got that. But go on. It was bacon double cheeseburger. Yes. <laughs> I think we've got them all right so far. You've done very well. Okay, this final one. So I think whoever's closest to the correct answer can have this. So the Chilcot report was finally published in July. Oh, Paul's going to get this. Copies are question. available free online, but how much would a hard copy cost you? Ooh. The cost. Um, a hard uh, are you going to give us multiple choice? Are we just, uh, no, I want you to... Right, well, I'm going to try and go between you guys <laughs> so that I will, um, hang on, yeah, I'm going to say £75. Guys, just bear in mind this was 2.6 million words. It might yeah, even be a thousand pounds. But go on. It was seven hundred and sixty seven pounds. What? Yo. Stocking filler. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've got you in Secret Santa. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so to be fair, guys, you've got a pretty good Four recollection of, of twenty six. That's not bad of the news, is it? Thanks, yeah. Sarah. Well so, um, and thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll be back in 2017 to ruin your Christmas. Here's some Labour MPs singing a Christmassy song about the national minimum wage. No double time on Sundays. Your Christmas bonus gone. Your rolling time now ended. Your ashes have been Just to keep them. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.